morning has turned to afternoon. Good afternoon, everyone. But the grind carries on. Not just the grind physically, but the grind mentally. The Midday Grind, featuring a couple of TV jockeys who've also been through the radio wars. <laughs> serious? Martin Kilcoin. I was a little lit, so I was saying whatever I wanted. And Charlie Marlowe. Our top story tonight, John Jay will be back tomorrow. Here's him getting a hit in 2012. It's the Midday Grind on 590 The Fan and 590TheFan.com. like a good day to let it breathe you know <laughs> how long is that music bad i mean like really let it breathe like you and i go over to overwise get a shake you know something like that it's summer hold on it's 73 degrees i just walked otis through glendale beautiful foliage and uh shrubbery and it's green what? out there the cardinals are are Soaring. winning hey they've won seven to ten pal let's be fair they're beating the teams in front of them are they the best teams not necessarily. Would you like to see the process a little better? But look, they're beating the Mets and Marlins. If they play the same way, will they beat some of the better teams in the division or in the National League? Maybe not so much, but right now they're winning games. Is that fair? They are winning games. Seven out of their last ten. The, the division is there for the taking. In fact, some of the pregame journalism holding these players accountable yesterday. What that means, Charlie, is we go in there at about 345 and the clubhouse is empty, but we're ready to hold them accountable. And I look around, I say, boy, there's nobody to hold accountable. But then we had, we did have a discussion with the always available Colton Wong, super friendly kid. I mean, there's honestly, he gets it <laughs> that he makes millions of dollars to play big league baseball. So sitting there and talking for a minute or two to him, and again, it doesn't make somebody a good or bad player, a good or bad person, but he is somebody who I would say understands his job. And I said to him, if you look at the division right now, is it crazy at all that it's just wide open? You guys haven't been at your best, but yet it's all still there. And he basically said, it's a little early to be thinking about anything standings. But my point was, you're not eight back. You're not nine back. After a horrific month of May, you guys are still right there. And he said, we got to get going. We got to get hot. And then Doug Vaughn, I think, stumbled into... His catchphrase, if this team could just get hot, and we left, and I said, Doug, and he goes, I think I'm going to start using that more. It's not just a hockey thing now. T-shirts. It's now a baseball thing. If this team could just get hot, they could be the second wild card. Maybe not the most exciting T-shirt. And to your earlier point, first of all, God bless guys like Colton Wong, Jose Martinez, Paul Goldschmidt, Adam Wainwright, guys that are always – Available, And I know maybe listeners, fans don't care as much about that as the media. However, I always say that's not for us. It's for the fans and the viewers and the listeners and people reading the blogs and the articles and the Post-Dispatch. You want to hear from from those guys. So the fact that some of those guys actually don't hide and talk to the media, that's fantastic. Also, I, I do think in the last month or so, we have been overly negative concerning the Cardinals. We've also been fair, and that's why it's kind of an odd spot because 
They have won, what is it, 7 out of 10. They're beating the Marlins and Mets. They're not playing the best teams in baseball. But you know what? They're right there in the standings. However, I think if you watch these games, especially the offense and the back end of the starting rotation, you kind of think to yourself, okay, once they start playing the Dodgers, the Braves, the Cubs, the Brewers, are they going to go 7 out of 10 with these types of performances against the better teams in baseball? And I think most people would say the answer is no to that. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt was the subject of a lot of talk before the game, wasn't playing. In fact, the lineup was the subject of a lot of talk before the game. Probably better that Hoff was on a plane to Hawaii, although I... He's complaining. Is he complaining from the airport? Go to Twitter. I, I saw the lineup and I thought, oh no, the 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 wet blankets of the world are going to have a, you know, going to have a blood vessel pop on this because we all looked at it and said, well, also it wasn't posted. So normally you walk in and the lineup's posted. It goes by on a digital screen. You know who the umpires are when the players are stretching, etc. Nothing listed for the lineup, which is kind of weird. Again, Doug Vaughn and I, some seasoned veterans, Charlie, looking to hold people accountable. Absolutely. And who better to kind of hit with the hard stuff than Tommy Edmond, who has been here? I mean, he's been here long enough now. He can answer some of the tough questions. <laughs> so we go over to his locker, and he was called up during the road trip. They were at Wrigley for that weekend. He was on the series in Miami and New York. But in terms of us seeing him in St. Louis, we go over to talk to him a little bit. And while we're talking to him, he said, yeah, it's even more for what is it like to be a big leaguer? These are not hard-hitting questions. But during the course of the interview, he said, well, the fact that I'm getting a start tonight, my family's here, and we all said, oh, you're playing tonight. And then I said, can we get a copy of the lineup? And you start to look at it like, okay, so Tommy Edmond is playing, so Wong is out, getting the night off. Matt Wieters is playing. Molina's getting the night off. Rangel Ravello is playing first, so Goldie's getting the night off. And Bader, who's basically a starter at this point, is getting the night off. And I appreciate the fact that Mike Schilt, in doing his pregame interview with Mike Claiborne on Camel X, they always end with, we always joke, as Shannon used to just say to Lou, hey, in your lineup, that would always be how they'd end the pregame visit. You talk about blocking the plate. And your lineup, your lineup, that's how it would end. So that's, the, every manager visit, that's what they do last. And Claib said something to the effect, we got a, we got an interesting one tonight. And I do think Ravello hitting fifth is a little surprising. Maybe that should be Fowler. Who knows? But people complain when Fowler hits fifth. Correct. You can't win. And it's one of those nights where you say, gosh, do you really have to rest all the guys at the same time? But what I appreciate was Schilt in that area with Claiborne goes, all right, we've got Carp leading off. And Claiborne's like, yeah, gotcha. And he said, DeYoung, mm-hmm, okay, make it. Jose's going to hit third tonight. we got Ozuna. And then Schilt said, all right, here's where it gets interesting. <laughs> like, basically owning the fact that everybody looking at it is going to go, what in the world is going on here? And then he explained, we got Ravello, big league, first big league start. We're going to go with Dexter. And then you're going to see Tommy Edmond. And you're going to, it goes through the whole list of surprise names. It did not produce a lot of offense. But then the questions became about Goldschmidt. Now, why is he out? He said, well, Molina's out because you know he's not sitting against Albert, right? You know he's playing all weekend long. So he said, I got to get him a day somewhere. Understood. So Yachty's out. They want to give Edmond, he's a switch hitter, get him out there. And he said, as far as Goldschmidt, who basically plays, you look at his career, he plays all the time. And you expect that. That just feels like who he is. And he said, I just got to get him a day. And somebody said, physical? He said, no, because he just isn't having a great season so far. So all of this talk is about how Goldschmidt just needs a day. Just get away from it. Get a mental break. Ends up in the game. Ends up winning it. There's a guy. There's a team who needed both desperately if you you're up one zip late martinez gives up a run 
they all matter the same, but it felt like it would have been a really depressing situation. If you lose to the Marlins, sorry to say Marlins, and in Whoa. a game you had good pitching out of Ponce de Leon, and then you had Goldschmidt who just needed a moment. You know, I mean, he's still got 14 homers. RBI counts way low. But Goldschmidt, who was all the discussion was like, how do you get him going? Maybe, Chuck. You never know. Maybe that'll get him going. I agree with your point. And Which we, one? We talked about this about a month ago when they sat basically half of the starters for one of those getaway day games. However, it was right before either a Cubs or a Brewer series, I remember. So you also have to remember, if you're going to sit, guys, do you want to do it before a rival like the Cubs-Brewers? Or in this case, a Marlins team that's about, what, close to 20 games below 500, or an Angels team, even though they're not in the division, they're an American League team, but they're one game over 500, and, and that's a better team that you can have your full lineup out there against. And I also think we love to, to question everything, manager, front office, and all that. When you hear Mike Schilt talk, you know this 100%. This guy reads and looks at every piece of information and data point in front of him. I mean, if you're there before the game, he will throw numbers out there and hard hit rates and all kinds of things like that. So I think a lot of times with the off days, it's very matchup driven as well. And if you question him, he'd say, well, what's so-and-so versus that pitcher? Or what's so-and-so versus the starter on Friday or Thursday? And he, he usually does it based on putting those guys in the best opportunity to have success. While also, yeah, you need to give these guys a day every once in a while. And even Paul Goldschmidt, you heard this last night, Danny Mack was talking about the fact that last four or five years, he's basically played between 155 and like 159 games every single year. You do have to give these guys strategically an off day and even... Look at Goldie. I mean, he didn't get the whole day off, and obviously he comes in late, almost hits the homer, and then hits one about four gazillion feet to win it. If you're going to hit a walk-off. That was awesome. That's the way you hit it, like where there's just no doubt. The second that it leaves, I know some people used to have a home run call called a no-doubter, and they would scrape the wall. But <laughs> that, are you referring to? That was a true no-doubter for Goldschmidt. Uh Ravello hitting fifth to me seemed weird, seemed odd, but then in the eighth inning when they got their run or the sixth inning, whenever they got their run, it was a big hit by Ravello to extend the inning. And so sometimes you got to also tip your cap, even though you scratch your head. Can you do both? Can you scratch your head and tip your cap? Sure Maybe later in the night you can tip your cap after you scratch your head. It worked. They win the game. I still think you're concerned about championship caliber roster. You did get a winning start from Ponce de Leon, which begs the question now, because Wainwright returns tonight, Walker returns tomorrow, so you're five, you're starting five. Basically, three are sort of in cement right now. Hudson, Flaherty, Michaelis, part of your rotation. Then you get to the Wainwright-Waka, back from the IL, back from the bullpen. But de Leon, just sitting there, he's had three starts, never real deep, but 15 innings and two runs can't be ignored. You know what I mean? I think you got to find a spot for this guy. I guess you wait and see how the Wainwright Walkers of the world do. But I would say De Leon's a guy I don't want to see going back to Memphis. And and nobody's saying that Daniel Ponce De Leon is going to be the ace of the staff. I think the issue I always have and a lot of fans have is when a guy is helping you win and you send him down and you don't even give him that opportunity to fail. And I know we always joke about Magnera Sierra last year and all that. And where is we Max, kind of by the way? Is he in the minors? That. I don't even know where he's It was at. your guy. You died on the hill for Max no, Sierra. No, my whole point was when he was in there, he got like a single and scored a run in almost every single game, and they sent him down. 
And I get it. He's not Ricky Henderson. Same with Daniel Ponce de Leon. Every time he's been out there, remember last year too, he made about, if I'm not mistaken, four starts and I think 11 appearances total. And there was one start where he didn't give you a chance to win. And that's in the last couple of years. Every time Daniel Ponce de Leon gets an opportunity, he gives you a really good chance to win. And you just have to be real with yourself. We all love Michael Waka. He's a great guy. He's been an all-star 2013. Amazing. At this point in his career right now, right now this season, who gives you a better chance to win? Michael Waka or Daniel Ponce de Leon? And that's why I would continue to roll Ponce out there until you, he gives you a reason not to. And that's where you got to think Waka and Wayno. I think it's going to be real tough for them to put Wayno in the bullpen. But I, I would right now would have Ponce start until he, he shows you he can't do it. And then Waka and Wayno right now are kind of competing for the fifth spot. How about John Gant now 7-0? and Seven wins for a guy who is not a starter, and he's not even technically really like a late-inning guy where you feel like a game can shift and you're going to pick up a win because you pitched the top of the eighth or the top of the ninth. When you're sort of in that weird role, it's even more shocking to me that he's getting these Ws because, again, you're not starting. We have the best chance to get a win, and you're not closing or pitching late when the game's hanging in the balance. He's in this weird middle role. Maybe he's like Wainwright. Maybe when he appears, they just... A couple of years ago, we said when Wainwright's out there, they win more times than not. You bringing up Gant right after we talk about Ponce makes me. My first thought was when Frank was talking about the the lack of innings that he's gone. Was it fifteen innings in in three starts? I wonder if that if Ponce being that good in such a short period of time, it, although he's having obviously stamina issues, if maybe that's the opening they need to move Gant out of the bullpen into the starting role, and then you put Ponce in the bullpen. Flip the two of them, Flip the two in of a them sense. because if one, if one of the issues with, with – obviously he's getting guys out. Your issue with moving Gant out of the bullpen is that right now the bullpen's playing, playing pretty well, and you don't want to break the only guy who's really locking people out, out in there. Ponce, two, only two earned runs allowed in 15 innings. That breaks down to a – extrapolates to a pretty good uh, ERA there. You move him into the bullpen for Gant, and then you give Gant the chance from the starter spot. It's just the first thing I thought of. When we hit that thing about Ponce, again, I know all the conversations about changing up when a guy's having success are always going to be there. But nonetheless, the starters need help. All right, this hour of the Midday Grind brought to you by Fast Eddie's. Stop by at 1 o'clock. Doors open Monday through Thursday. Doors open at 1 o'clock. But over the weekend, they open at 11 a.m. And you know what? The grill is already fired up preparing that great food. It's been a while since we've said, do the full Stravenger. Make it a day up there. Go up and just hang out all day. <laughs> Grab a homemade bratwurst, the Fat Eddie Burger. That's a half-pound burger, just over 2 bucks. Basket of fries, peel and eat shrimp. You've heard all about the great food over the years. They can't even remember the last time they changed the prices. Somebody asked for a coupon one time, and they just let what? The prices are insanely low. The atmosphere, always fun. Seven days a week. Patio would be great today. Chuck, what's the temperature? Seventy-three beautiful Man. degrees. Sorry, sorry, St. Louis, you had to wait eighteen minutes for that. Yeah, well, he gave us the temp early because that's part of Chuck's daily research. But what a great day to sit on the patio at Fast Eddie's. It's Alton, Illinois, Fourth and Broadway. Take the Clark Bridge, turn right. You are there. If you haven't been in a while, get on back to Fast Eddie's. You can have two people. You have twenty people. They've got room. Always a good time. Seven days a week, and they've got live music going seven days a week as well. Frank and I were talking about great trades in St. Louis history, because looking at O'Reilly, picking up more hardware, Selkie Trophy, already won the Conn Smythe, got that big old Stanley Cup there parading all through Vegas. Obviously a steal for Doug Armstrong in the Blues last summer. But what about the best trades, period, 
Chuck, what do you think? Now, ESPN.com, they do lists every once in a Mm -hmm. while. What do you think they rank as the all-time sports greatest trade? ESPN, they do a lot of lists, especially right when the NBA season ends before football, when there's a little bit of a of a downturn in <laughs> they the, call it the uh, list season sports calendar. A lot of Monday golf. This is an old, but to be well. fair, this is an old one. Right. Remember when they had page two? Oh yeah, Bill Simmons on ESPN.com. It was even the yellow background mm-hmm. on the page. So this is going back a ways, but most lopsided trades. In, in sports, the history of sports. In the history of sports. Think of the one, you can get the first one because it's the legendary figure involved. So Babe Ruth? Babe Ruth, yes. Red Sox selling the Babe, looking for cash to finance the musical. No, no, Nanette, the Red Sox owner, sold baseball's greatest player to the Yankees for $100,000, plus they loaned him $300,000. You imagine sports radio back then in Boston. Hey, what's this guy doing? He's got no, no, Nanette coming up. <laughs> he basically sold Babe Ruth so he could put on a musical. Those are things you don't see anymore. Didn't Chip? Although Chip Georgia Frontier might have continued. Didn't Chip? Didn't they kind of want to sell the team so he could make his movies? A yeah, little bit? I, well, Documentaries? To be fair, I, that would have... Tax, tax Tax purposes, yeah. I think they could not afford to hold on to the team. And there's also a lot of debt. But that would have been a very Georgia move. Okay, we're trading Marshall Falk because I'm funding a musical. <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, impact, we don't really need to review that. Babe Ruth turned out. Colts trading Elway to the Broncos. Now, these, again, lopsided historical deals. John Elway refuses to play in Baltimore, traded to Denver. They got Mark Herman, quarterback in exchange, Purdue guy back in the day. They also got the rights to Chris Hinton. Yeah. And a pick in the 84 draft, which ended up being a guard, Ron Solt. I think the Broncos won that deal. And they kind of forced the hand, though, right? Oh, yeah. Well, Elway said, I'm not going saying, with I'm Kevin baseball. Demoff's dad, Marvin, Marvin Demoff. And that was the whole 30 for 30 on on that draft and how they kind of manipulated Elway to get to the Broncos. Uh, lopsided deals. They also went Dr. J when he went from the Nets to the 76ers. Basically a money deal. The Nets owner, ABA, needed the money, so he sold Dr. J for $3 million. What you think about in 1976, that's a lot of money. So they obviously knew the star power they were getting in Dr. J. Uh, Fourth on the list, I'm just wondering if Bill Simmons helped make the list because it's a Celtics trade that doesn't really come to mind for you, me, or most anyone listening. But when the Celtics got Robert Parrish... And a first-round pick from Golden State, and they used the first-round pick to get Kevin McHale. So they That's got pretty good, though. They got McHale, they got Chief, and they gave up a top pick, which the Celt or the uh, Warriors used to get Joe Barely Cares, Joe Barry Carroll, making it more lopsided. Uh, there's a lot of interesting Nolan Ryan trade. You got Pedro Martinez, but in the history of the game, I think it's always Babe Ruth in terms of most lopsided deals locally. So- the Brett Hull deal. Is number one, the Lou Brock deal. That's what I was going to bring. Even has its own catchphrase, Brock for Brolio. You just know how, because some of these, Scott Rowland, Polanco went the other way, and he's a good player. But a lot of these for Walt Jockety, for Doug Armstrong, they've done a little bit of fleecing, I think it would be fair to say. Matt Holiday for Brett Wallace. Who's the the Zach that they drafted? That Zach Cox. Zach Cox. I was I listening to you. I believe. I couldn't think. If I'm not mistaken, Rocco, Arkansas kid. I believe they traded him for Edward Mujica. 
Was that who? Okay, I could, uh, I could, we, Brett, Brett Wallace got tossed into 589 trades by writers and um, prognosticators, so I have no idea actually when he actually left the Cardinals. I just knew that eventually it happened. So the holiday deal would have been 10 years ago, right? Summer of 2009. Yeah, I remember what that is. I mean, Package Brett Wallace. But then they drafted Zach Cox a couple of years later, and they I, they rolled him out sort of for the media meet and greet. And I said, that kind of reminds me of Brett Wallace. Stocky-ish? Is that the word we're looking for? That's fair. Stocky-ish. Here we go. We got uh, July 31st. 2012, Edward Mujica traded by the, at the time, no, it was the Miami Marlins, to the Cardinals for Zach Cox. And that's where, you know, especially going back five, six, seven, eight years, give Mo credit for flipping a lot of those first-round picks before everybody else found out they probably shouldn't have been. <laughs> we made a right? terrible look, pick, but we, we dumped him on look, somebody else. But look, Brett Correct. Wallace was the centerpiece of getting Matt Holiday in return, and then he signs here. And he's a really good player for about a decade, whatever it's been. And the Cardinals win a World Series. And Zach Cox didn't turn out. And even though you say, oh, Edward Mujica, I mean, didn't he have something like 37 saves, whatever it was? I mean, he had a really good year for the Cardinals. I had no idea. Brett Wallace was involved in both the holiday and holiday trades. So what's the, the second one? He was So he was traded from, uh, to, the, to the A's, obviously, as the part for Matt Holiday. And then he was dealt to the Toronto Blue Jays for Michael Taylor, who was then obtained for the Blue Jays. For the Philadelphia Phillies, is part of the Roy Holiday trade. Oh, Roy he's, Hall- he's, oh so he's part gotcha. of both the Holiday and Holiday oh, trades. So packaged in Holiday and Holiday. Yes. And look, Edward Mujica, 2013. Remember, he ran out of gas at the end as they're in the World Series taking on the Red Sox. But he was an all-star yes, was. with 37 saves that year for the Cardinals. They always have a guy like that because in 2011, even, he was packaged later to the Angels. He was the reliever... Fernando, maybe Salas. 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 Who had yes. about, didn't he have about twenty-five like, saves in in twenty eleven? And I remember that. seeing somebody working for the Cardinals at the time ran into him at a Starbucks, and he said, "I don't know how this guy gets people out," but he was doing it. Talking about Salas, they had a run there where they would always find a guy, even Ceshek. And you were in Minnesota, the All Star game. The guy ends up pitching in the All Star game, but they kept finding those pieces each year, and they would just kind of cycle through them. But Mujica was the guy for a year. C-Shack wasn't necessarily your closer, but was a valuable piece. What in 14? You're right. They did have a run of was that literally randoms. Post Isringhausen all the way up till, I guess, now almost? Uh, let's see. You're talking like I guess you're the, you're the year and a half where it was Mott, right? Yeah, I would say Mott would have been the longest. And then Ryan Franklin into 11. Was, Ryan, Ryan Franklin's Franklin had, the. There's your have, bridge. Did he, have two, did he have two full or three full years? It goes Izzy, Franklin, Mott. I think that's the bridge. In terms of closers. People love this stuff, Chuck. They love Absolutely. lists. They also love having a clean chimney. STL chimney. That's where you go. <laughs> no, they do. They love lists Seriously. and clean chimneys. It's 73 degrees right now. So you probably don't want to get the fireplace going unless you're my wife, who loves the fireplace any temperature. But fall, winter, you got to get ready and go to STL chimney to get it fixed. On the web, stlchimney.com. On Facebook, STL chimney. Call the team. At 314-492-4040 or email them, stlchimney at gmail.com for sweeps, cleanings, inspections, repairs. As I said, don't wait till the fall or winter when everybody else wants their chimney and fireplace fixed because that's what we did. We waited this past winter. We went. We wanted our fireplace fixed before the holidays, but we waited too long. Everybody was booked up. So about a month ago, we called STL Chimney. They repaired our chimney and fireplace, did custom work on the inside, on the outside, up on the roof. The fireplace and chimney, everything looks great, works great. 
So I highly recommend STL Chimney. STLChimney.com on Facebook as well. Call the team at 314-492-4040. It is STL Chimney. Uh, a lot of talk going into the Vegas NHL Awards last night. Ryan O'Reilly wins the Selkie. Doug Armstrong, I believe, runner-up to the GM of the year. Boston's GM wins that award. Craig Berube finished third. My mom was outraged. Some people online thought it was horribly unjust. He did take him from last to first within the same calendar year, but he wasn't there the whole season. Some people hold. I think the fact he finished third got some people fired up. It doesn't matter. O'Reilly does not win the Lady Bing. He wasn't going to win both. Bennington was second in the Rookie of the Year voting, but he did win the Clutch Performance of the Year. And when he got a shout-out, did you see O'Reilly when he won the Selkie? He starts thanking people and then starts mentioning some of his line mates and then mentions Jordan Bennington, and they cut to Bennington as O'Reilly is, you know, raving about him. He's sleeping. And he has, like, this, just a this stone-faced look the whole time. And people are cheering. And Bennington looks like they could have been talking about anybody in the world but him. It was the perfect reaction. And I thought some of the moments that people watched, and I bet you this was the highest-rated NHL award show in St. Louis history, if I had to guess. Dan Caesar's probably still critiquing our parade coverage, but he may have numbers on that. <laughs> but more St. Louis people probably watch than typically do because of the interest in the team and the fact that all these people up for awards, Barubi and Army and all these guys, there's a lot of moments in there where they're trying so hard to be silly. Like they had a lot of comedy. It led to awkwardness. So there was a guy up there, a comedian, I guess, doing a bit, and he's dressed sort of like picture somebody at Steak and Shake with the white server's hat, and like he had a bunch of hamburgers in his tray. I didn't get the joke. But he's up there as Bar- so Barry Trotz wins Coach of the Year which is a very distinguished award. But because they were doing like this bit, he ends up going up and shaking hands, and the guy gives him a hamburger. The guy's wearing the little <sighs> drive-in outfit, and I thought, you can't do that. you got to do the bit, the comedy bit, and then you go, okay, now to present the award. Instead, if you look at it, it's weird. Barry Trotz is up there shaking hands with a guy who just did a comedy bit, and he hands him a cheeseburger. Very look, weird. I was flipping back and forth. I was mostly watching the Cardinals game, though, and I did kind of think, look, Obviously, you got the trophy, the cup that matters, but you did kind of get the sense that the Blues probably weren't going to win a lot of these awards that were based just solely on the regular season, mostly because Bennington only played about half the season. Craig Bruby comes in midway through the season. I did think the joke was really good when, is it Keenan Thompson comes out there and he says, the Tampa Bay Lightning set the record for most wins in the regular season. All right. And they also set the record for the fewest amount of wins in the postseason with zero. And everybody kind of <laughs> awkward, owes, and they cut to the the lighting players. None of them were laughing. They can't. All of them it's just stone faced. He tagged it beautifully. Just goes either way, win or lose, they're setting records. Right. It was really and funny. I think one of them, Hedman. If you see Hedman, who's a little bit more in like the third lo- row, he's the one guy who kind of cracked him. Who kind of cracked a moment. Uh, yeah, those guys aren't great at laughing at themselves. They're probably still pretty bitter. And the <laughs> other thing that I think is very funny. And as you said yesterday, Bennington was back to being the Bennington we got to know during the season, who's just kind of very matter-of-fact, very serious. He'll give you a great quote, and he does it kind of uh, with that wry smile. But I think it's a really interesting and funny dichotomy when you see Jordan Bennington, who at times is emotionless, right? And he's out there, and they, they get to the Stanley Cup final, and he just skates off. He finally showed some emotion when they won the Stanley Cup, but then, of course, you're at the parade and you're seeing him in the pictures of, in Vegas and he's riding the Tiger. So it's like you have the opposite ends of the 
the spectrum in terms of extremes. He's just kind of like that stone cold killer on the ice. And then he's this party animal when he's kind of ready to uh, let go and cut loose. It's kind of, it seems to me that it's two things. If the camera is directly on him, he's stoic. But if the camera happens to catch a moment, he might be riding a motor scooter down the street. He might be on a tiger. Like you can catch him in these fun moments, but if he's directly zoomed in on, he's giving you nothing. That just seems to be his MO. But all of the critique of some of the weirdness of the presentation aside, there was a great moment towards the end, and they had the Blues parade the cup down the middle aisle, and Jordan Bennington carried it. There was Bennington, O'Reilly, Army, Baruby, Tom Stillman was there, Chris Zimmerman, the Blues CEO. They all parade the cup up while they're playing Gloria, and they drop confetti down, and John Hamm, as a presenter, just happened to be in the shot with all of them, and O'Reilly then thanked the city of St. Louis and said, it's been unbelievable. I know everybody feels the same way, the parade, everything that's happened, basically like a big embrace to the city. They leave the stage, and John Hamm, as a host, is supposed to talk, and he said, St. Louis Blues, Stanley Cup champions. I will never get tired of saying that. It's a little weird because on the, the red carpet, it's all these guys holding the trophy and John Hamm, and people are like, what award is he up for? He was in a lot of the shots. Super fan. Super fan. And again, maybe I bring this up too much because I talked about it with some of the pros of the Cardinals who are always there meeting with the media. But I just want people out there to know how much of a pro Ryan O'Reilly is in every sense of the word. Not just the best player through the regular season and then in the playoffs as well when he won the Conn Smythe. But it was kind of the joke early that you had the after-practice O'Reilly practice where he stays on to do extra work with everybody. He's always there, very candid, answering every single question, just a pro's pro. And then when you think about kind of away from the ice, how his dad is this mental coach who's trained him mentally to to be a, a wise decision maker when everything's on the line, and you see that he and his wife are really into yoga, and the way he trains, if you see the videos, how he's on a balance beam, juggling, and just doing everything he can possibly do to be the best hockey player imaginable. That guy is just a pro's pro. A fun night in St. Louis for soccer fans as well. St. Louis FC beating Cincinnati FC. That's an MLS team, so that's two straight wins over an MLS team. Exciting late goal. We talked to their coach. Anthony Pulis in the last hour about it. So a lot of fun for the soccer folks. Cardinals had a walk-off win, 11th inning. Paul Goldschmidt, they call him Goldie, Charlie. Mm -hmm. I haven't been down there a while. They call him Goldie. 14th of the season, only his 30th RBI, but a dramatic walk-off win. His first as a Cardinal, going for three out of four against the Marlins. Early start tonight, keep that in mind, just past 6 o'clock, Wainwright on the mound. And look, Goldie, another pro's pro, and you have to love the fact that he was very Scott Rowland-esque. Now, you can do that when you hit the ball 2 million miles. But he just hit the ball, and he put his head down, and he started rounding the bases. And I think when he looked down, everybody on that bench, they probably knew it was gone anyway, but they're like, all right, he's getting his stroll on because this is a professional. He puts his head down, he rounds the bases, and the Cardinals win. All right, text topic as we come back, 855-282-8255. 855-282-8255. Level of excitement for the Pujols weekend. And you can respond in any way, like, hey, it's great, I wish it had happened earlier, or I don't care anymore, or I think it'll be fun, or I'd rather see Mike Trout. What's your level of interest? Because I do think for the city, right, we went from the parade to Pujols. It's kind of fun. It gives the weekend a little extra buzz. Having the Angels in town, give us your thoughts on the Pujols return, 
282-8255. We'll get into that next. It's the coveted hour. Chuck, the kids call it the coveted hour. They yelled that at the parade. Coveted hour. 100%. Hey, 2020. Midday grind on 590 The Fan. Mississippi, she's calling my name. Catfish are jumping. 